0: I take a sip of water periodically, mostly so you all can see that I still do have a face. (laughs) Joan Didion begins her book, The Year of Magical Thinking, with this passage. Life changes fast. Life changes in the instant. You sit down to dinner and life, as you know it, ends. The question of self-pity. Those were the first words I wrote after it happened. The computer dating on the Microsoft Word file, notesonchange.com, reads May 20th, 2004, 11, 11 p.m. But, But that would have been the case of my opening a file and reflexively pressing save when I closed it. I'd made no changes to that file in May. I made no changes to that file since I wrote the words in January of 2004, a day or two or three after the fact. For a long time, I wrote nothing else. Life changes in the instant. The ordinary instant. And so begins Didian's Gideon, journey back and then forward through the grief of losing her husband, who one moment was fine and the next was slumped over In the chair, scotch in hand, dinner on the stove, fire crackling in the fireplace. A gorgeous, ordinary night, when the rug was yanked from under her and an earthquake struck one apartment in New York City and a fissure broke open in a life. We all know those moments firsthand usually eventually we know those moments but secondhand early on in our living we hear of them, know of them, of their existence and living in the moment we do right now there is a sense of that precariousness to life that's so much more palpable, constant that sense of precariousness that we so often run from, because who would want to live constantly aware of it? How do you live prepared for ordinary earthquakes and life broken open a little or a lot in an instant? For so many reasons, it felt, it feels like a good time for us to talk about grief, to name it to invite it in, to sit with us. Normally I would expect to do that next week, which would be a more natural fitting in liturgical calendar, but but next week we have this other potential earthquake to prepare for. And I think we're gonna need to invite in other energies and healing and preparation for us to sit with so we can weather that event. So, So this week. All cultures, all human cultures, I think, find a way to create rituals for recognizing, for recognizing and memorializing grief, loss, the dead. Some of the earliest remains I once read have been found in graves with objects beside them, and at least in one case with the remains of a dog buried with them, proof I always remember that human being's best friend has played that role for a long, long time. We need ways to say goodbye. We need ways to bless someone who has been so important in our lives, to usher that person into whatever awaits us as we leave this planet as... Bob McCarthy's obituary beautifully put it, for the great beyond. And let's be honest, we need it for ourselves as we make sense emotionally of what I still think is the most incomprehensible, normal reality of life that there is, the death of another, the ordinary minute, the fire, dinner on the stove, scotch in hand a person we love there, one moment and gone the next. We need rituals of ending not because we need closure. Dr. Pauline Boss, a retired professor who's studied loss her entire career, doesn't like that word. She says, it's a really good word well, for the way you end a real estate transaction or a business deal, but, but not so useful for grief. It's a false promise, she thinks. We never really close a relationship with another person. We never close our grief about losing them, not entirely. But we can find places to honor the lost, to honor the life, to... Put it literally or figuratively on some altar and and begin to begin a new life in a new relationship to this person we've lost. Find out what that means for us. And for for that, we have ritual. This year, as you all know, has been a hard year for loss, particularly around ritual. Memorial services for some of the people we've lost in this very community have been delayed until family can come to be here in person, or we can be together for that moment. Other losses have found creative and meaningful ways to commemorate the one they loved, including, in fact, this last week. It was the one-year anniversary you might have noticed when we were reading the dates of Megan Leamer's husband, Les, of his death, and it was celebrated by many of the poets that he'd championed and published, gathering to read and share their work in honor of him on Zoom. A colleague of mine who lost her toddler during this pandemic time scheduled a time when she and her wife and the child's brother could sit on their front lawn And cars were invited to drive by and offer their love and look eye to eye and speak words of support out the open windows. Love and support that this family desperately needed and love and support that those people driving by desperately needed to be able to give. We human beings, we are incredibly creative makers of ritual. So desperate are we for them in order to be able to heal. So I wanted to name that, for us to remember that about ourselves. Because we are, as I repeat often, so that we stay conscious of it, no matter how long this persists, we are swimming in loss these days personal losses like those that we named today collective losses like the daily recitation of the national and global deaths from covid and natural disaster housing losses due to fires in this area or eviction job loss And then in addition to all those losses we can lay our hands on, Dr. Pauline Boss would tell us to pay attention to what she called, in a term she coined while in graduate school, ambiguous loss. Ambiguous loss, as I understand it, attempts to name all those things that are felt as losses. But where the change or what we've lost is harder to wrap our hands around, point to, or where there's no end point to it. So for instance, people who have lost a loved one at sea and don't actually have the body in hand, so they don't know if the person has actually died or somehow magically survived. They are in the midst of ambiguous loss or if you have a loved one who has Alzheimer's, who's bodily present, but who's not present to you the way you knew to be in relationship with them, or if you have been a child of divorce and watched a parent move out of the house, you know the many faces of ambiguous loss, the ones that are somehow harder to grieve sometimes. Well, for those of us these days, I think we're living in ambiguous loss by my lights ambiguous loss would include our diminished sense of stability and security our separation from loved ones physically even though they are alive and well i hope our loss of cherished routines would be an ambiguous loss our loss of the ability to plan All the ways that the pandemic has upended our self-care and our coping routines would be a kind of ambiguous loss. All the ways in which the changes have made us doubt or challenged our sense of ourselves and who we knew ourselves to be, that might be ambiguous loss. And with no end date yet published, and no sense of the world that we will reclaim when this is all over, it's hard to know what it is we're supposed to be grieving entirely. My, how we swim in grief these days, my beloveds. All of its kinds. So I wonder if maybe we could make a little time, take a moment to lay some of this other grief at the altar this morning. I wonder if you could take a moment to think, and maybe it doesn't even take a moment to think of what has been especially hard for you this year. What feels most grievous Maybe you found it in your body during that meditation, in some clenching, in a block in your throat, in the sore shoulders you couldn't make sense of before. Did you find it? Could you name it? What loss that was hard that you keep just under wraps to cope? invite you to sit for a moment. Breathe again into the fullness of your being, body, spirit, mind, heart. I want you to find what is hardest for you, most painful these days. Put a word to that loss if you can Get a sense of what it is you mourn most and yearn to have back. Can you lay it on the altar? And then can you think for a moment of what piece of what is lost you still have? If you've lost connection, can you Can you think of new ways you've found to connect with people and places and things you loved? If you've lost a sense of control over your life, can you reclaim what it is you still have control over? Your choices, how it is you choose to be and act in these times. Because my friends, I think the truth is, our griefs, they give us a pathway back to what it is we loved. In some ways, they're a gift if we can hold them in the right way. They show us what it is we wanna reclaim and hold close and make a piece of us what we're too sad, what's too hard to completely let go of and then invite us to step into the world, holding tight to that, able maybe over time to let the rest go, So I hope we are able to pay attention to ourselves, my loved ones, to what we grieve, to the loss. Know that it is hard. Know that we swim in it. That's what we hold in our bodies. That's what weighs us down some mornings and makes getting out of bed a sheer heroic act of hope and resilience. So blessings to you in all of it. May we pay attention and name our griefs and lay them on the altars, make altars in the world to them with both what we love and acknowledge we have lost, but how we take ourselves and what we reclaim from that loss into the way we live into the world. Renewed. Renewed to make sure that what is most important is never, never lost for long. Blessings in our journeys, in the altars we make, in the grief we hold, and in the ways we find ourselves into some healing and new life beyond it all. Amen.